your Bible out, turn to Revelation 21. My notes are also on the website, as they usually are. And I didn't get through last Wednesday night with Revelation 21. And we'll only get a few verses again tonight. Uh, There's so much. What you'll find as you start studying the Word, just so much there, you just want to just want to bring it out. So uh, anyway, we've uh, been teaching from the book of Revelation for the past couple of years on Wednesday nights. Not every Wednesday night, but all along and along we have other things we do as well. Uh, but this is a lesson. This is part 36, and we're doing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. Revelation, the Greek word is apocalypsis, which means an unveiling. It's literally an unveiling of, of the future. And, you know... Um, you know, just think if uh, someone hires you and says, well, I'm going to pay you an annual salary of X, Y, Z, and uh, you work so many hours, or if you have a salary position, it's usually between 40 and 50 hours you may work in America. Some people work more, but uh, again, if you have a salary, if you have an hourly wage, they say, well, well, here's the skinny. You do work hard. We'll pay you this wage. We'll pay you, you know, sometimes weekly, sometimes biweekly, sometimes monthly, whatever. But you have an expectation that if you put those hours in, you get a reward, right? So there are some tremendous rewards for putting your flesh under and obeying God and giving your will to the Lord and saying no to all of the, all of the voices in this life that try to pull you away from God and his purposes, his plan, and his kingdom. It's tremendous rewards. And that's what we're talking about the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. So here we are. Uh, God is seated on a great big throne. John, John saw him. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and he was the authority, overarching authority over all the universe. And in verse 4, with just all kind of creatures crying out, holy, 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 and a plethora of colors around his throne, and, and uh, all kinds of, uh, they called them elders, sitting around his throne. And everybody's just worshiping in this pristine presence. Chapter 5 of Revelation 5 uh, reveals a scroll in God's right hand. That scroll is God's title deed to this planet. This planet was given to God's arch enemy Satan when Adam and Eve originally sinned in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, Satan became little g, the god of this age, and, uh, and gained a legal right to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he does that in John 10.10. 10. It's got a hierarchy of demonic forces that surround the globe like a canopy of darkness and he rules in a kingdom called darkness and he's been doing that ever since. Uh, uh, God has a plan however to, uh, to um, take him off of his throne and, and let him find his eternal resting place. So the book of Revelation is uh, uh, Revelation 5 again that scrolls unwrapped, the seals are broken, seven seals on it. Four horsemen we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse, a white horse, a red horse, a a, um, a, a black horse, a pale horse, green horse. They reveal themselves and all kinds of havoc happens. And, and then there's some trumpet judgments, seven of them. There's some bold judgments. We've talked about all that. All that's God cleansing the earth of all of the sin contaminants and all of the, of the pseudo-authorities that set themselves up in the place of God uh, throughout all the ages of time ever since uh, Humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, and so the book of Revelation just shows how God cleanses the earth of all of those sin contaminants. Uh, that is, all the demon powers, all the fallen angels, Satan himself, along with the Antichrist. And there's a person who works with him called the false prophet. And we've gone through all of the chapters of Revelation, all the way up to, to Revelation 21. The final battle has been fought. The battle of Armageddon has ensued. Jesus won the victory. Satan has been cast into the uh, lake of fire and the uh, Antichrist along with the persons that have cooperated with him and taken his mark on their bodies. Uh, They are 
They are doomed. They are sealed. Um, uh, the demonic forces and Satan himself have been placed in the lake of fire. Here we are in Revelation 21. All of the, uh, all of the, um, all of the unbelievers of all ages, from Adam and Eve's time until this time, they their physical bodies have been resurrected, uh, terrible, you know, unglorified, corrupted bodies, and they've stood before God and they've received their eternal sentencing, and they're in the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. And here we are in Revelation 21. Now, this is where it turns around and gets really, really, really stinking good. Are you excited about this? And God shows us the future of what we have to look forward to. So, you know, it's going to probably do you a lot of good to go back and read this on occasion just to, just to know. And tonight, I want to give you some ideas of what it's going to be like and what God has planned for us. It's really quite amazing. We don't have a lot in Scripture about uh, the eternal earth and the eternal heavens, but what we do have is just absolutely incredible. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, New Living Translation said, this is what the Scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. It's quite incredible. J.B. Phillips' translation of Ephesians 1.10 is so succinct that I love to read it and I have read it frequently. In fact, for years I had it in the margin of my wide margin Bibles. And uh, I just would read it every now and then because it was so good. And J.B. Phillips says it this way, Ephesians 1.10 through 14. says, for God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. And it is this he purposes in his sovereign will. That all human history should be consummated in Christ. That everything that exists in heaven or earth uh, should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. That is incredible. Then it goes on, he says in verse 11. And here's the staggering thing. That in all uh, which will one day belong to him, uh, we have been promised a share. Did you hear what I just read? In everything he does in Christ... You've been promised a share of eternity with him. That is incredible. So let me share a little tidbit with you, and we'll talk about this again tonight. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. We mentioned verse chapter 1, verse 1 last week, spent the whole time, and it was quite incredible. I, I just really enjoyed it. Enjoyed studying it. I enjoyed reading it. I went back and read it again. It's incredible. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And so pass away doesn't mean cease to exist. It changed in fashion. It changed in design. It changed in uh, the corruptible elements of the earth uh, have been removed with the new heavens and new earth, the, uh, the uh, atmospheric heavens around the earth where the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in high places, the prince of the power of the air, is spoken of, those are spoken of in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 2. Uh, they've, all, they've all set up a kingdom of darkness as a cloud canopy around the earth and surrounded the earth with darkness, spiritual darkness. That's why, that's why we're challenged to sing, to worship, to pray, to read our Bibles, to walk with God. And that's why, that's why there's such pressure. Why do you feel the pressures that you feel to compromise, to be slack, to be lazy spiritually? It's because these demonic forces, they think they're having a heyday. They don't realize that their eternal doom is very, very close. So in the new heavens... All the contaminants they left behind when they were relegated to the lake of fire are removed. When God renews the atmosphere around planet Earth, 
and then he renews the earth itself. It's autoclaved, as it were. It's, uh, it's uh, cleansed by fire, Second Peter 3. We looked at that last week in fair detail. And uh, the, uh, the, the elemental things that make the earth the way it is now were completely cleansed of contaminants, no more viruses, no more bacteria, uh, no more death. In fact, death is the last enemy, 1 Corinthians 15 says, that is to be destroyed. And so spiritual death is eliminated. That's incredible. Uh, physical death is eliminated. And then the second death has been experienced by all those who will experience it, and they are in the lake of fire. So death is totally eliminated and removed. And then there is no more sea, because during that autoclaving of the earth, perhaps the environment heats up, and the oceans around the world, they just simply evaporate back up into the atmosphere. And I mentioned that last week, that uh, many Bible scholars believe that there was a that there was a can cloud canopy surrounding the earth, keeping the ultraviolet rays of the sun out and making the uh, earth basically what we would understand as the hyperbaric chamber with a, a great increase in oxygen saturation in the atmosphere, which uh, prolonged life. In fact, we were or originally supposed to live he eternally in human bodies. That's the reason nobody likes to die. I've watched many people die. It's not fun to do. The only thing that's, uh, that's exciting is when you see a believer just before they pass, they see Jesus or see the other side, and, and they're excited to see him, but they miss their family, and their family misses them. So death is an enemy, but I'll tell you, when you see the other side, it's amazing. So all of that is eliminated, and um, we, uh, we were supposed to live in these human bodies for eternity, but because of sin, we have to vacate them and wait for a glorified body when Jesus comes back. So the rapture of the church, God's just simply fulfilling of what he originally planned for us. He wanted us to live for eternity in bodies on the earth, and we will. Is that exciting? It just creates a new environment, new heavens and new earth. We went in great detail, more than I just said last week. Now we get to go to verse 2, and we'll go through uh, chapter 2 through verse 8 tonight, very uh, uh, hopefully fairly rapidly. Revelation 21, 2, uh, John says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, everybody say holy city. That word holy, hmm. got to think about that one. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So let's look at that a little bit. The holy city. So again, let me say up front, and I think I mentioned this once last week, the bride of Christ is the new dwelling place God created for his people called the New Jerusalem. The bride of Christ is God's people dwelling in, in a place God has had in mind to place them for eternity. That's the bride of Christ. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, the bride of Christ, everybody say the bride of Christ is the New Jerusalem. And that's what it reveals. Uh, with us dwelling in it, God's a loving husband and he takes care of us. I'll come back to that thought again in a minute. Um, but it says the holy city. Now, that word holy is placed there on purpose. The Greek word for holy is hagios, and it means to be set apart. And, um, and nothing that defiles can enter this city. Now, you know, you got to hear this because uh, we need to make sure we get this right. you got one chance to get this right. And, and we as pastors and ministers of the gospel particularly have quite a standard to bear here and, um, and we happen to live in an age of itching ears where people only want to hear what they want to hear 
and don't want to hear anything that disagrees with the way they want to live. And that's a big problem. So he says here, again, the holy city, New Jerusalem, uh, it's mentioned twice uh, in Revelation 21 and 22, the fact that nothing that defiles can enter that city. Revelation 21, later down in the chapter, verse 27, but there shall by no means enter any, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I had three um, principles I raised my children by. And the very last one was extremely simple, almost oversimplified. But it was never, ever lie. And I looked at all of my children and said, liars do not go to heaven, they go to hell. In fact, that's a holding tank they eventually are found in this place called the lake of fire. If you choose to be a liar, that is a person who lives a lie, who tells lies. If you, how many of you know if you tell one lie, you got to tell a hundred? You tell a hundred, you got to tell a thousand. And they'll all come back to bite you. That's the way lies work. And he said here again, blessed are those who do his commands, Revelation 22, 14, uh, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Who, who enters? Those that do his commandments. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral. Uh, immorality is an all-time high in America today, and, we have, we, and now people wear it as a badge. They, they wear it as a badge. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm a lesbian and I'm, I love it. I'm proud. We got Pride Month today. Now we've, we've attached pride to sin. Now, if you have a problem with me saying these things, I think you need to come to Jesus. I'm serious. You say, you, you don't like homosexuals? No, I love them. And so does God. You say, Pastor, you don't love lesbians? No, I love lesbians. I love them. God loves them, but they can't go to heaven in their sin. God loves people that live together and they're not married. God loves people that have sex outside of marriage. God loves people that look at pornography. Pornos is the Greek word for fornication. You hear me? He loves all this, but they just can't go to heaven with it. And some people have the erroneous idea and just go to heaven, live anyway, but just get up there. You'll see in a minute really clearly how this works. Um, it's not works either. It's just God is holy. And you go into this place he created, and he's holy. And you can't get in there unless you're holy because you wouldn't, you wouldn't last. And let me just say you wouldn't even like it. So if you like sin, you, you don't want to go there because it won't be there. So he says, but outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, sexually immoral. And he's expanding on that one more time. The only sex God smiles at is between husband and wife in the confines of an isolated place that nobody else can see. Not on the telephone, everybody else looking. Yes? Yeah. That's what God smiles at. Otherwise, take some, a lot of cold showers and, and don't be looking around and love on Jesus. Keep your flesh under that's what the Bible says. Yes or no? So if you've got, if you're not married and you want to have sex, say, God help me not to do that till I'm married. I was 13 years old. I made, I don't mean to get off into this. I was 13 years old and I made a vow to God after my Baptist pastor preached a shotgun sermon about fornication. I don't even have time to get into that. But anyway, 
I say, well, God, I don't reckon I want to do that till I get married. Help me not to have sex till I got married. Now, you know, guess what? I didn't have sex till I got married. Now, God kept me. Now, I mean, I did everything possible for him not to keep me, but I promise you, he kept my life. In fact, I embarrassed myself, embarrassed a few girls because I said, I can't do this. And you know what I said? I promised God. And they looked at me like I was an idiot. And I said, you can think what you want to about me. I have to answer to him, not you. And the greatest gift I ever gave somebody was when I married my wife. That's a precious thing to me. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters. Whoever loves and practices a lie. So this is a holy city. Can I go a little further here? Matthew 7 Digress a minute, and then we'll move forward quickly. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. See, these, these, these are challenging. Pull these out of your scripture promise box. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. <clears throat> Confined, one trans- other translations say, small. For the highway to hell is broad. The gate is wide for the many who choose that way. You know, it's funny that now we've painted a pic- picture that it's hard to go to hell and easy to go to heaven. Now, Jesus, Jesus had it backwards or something. No, I think we had it backwards. But the gate to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Now, I don't know about you, but those are challenging scriptures to me. Are they challenging to you? Jesus meant for them to be challenging to our flesh. You know, he didn't mean for us to get in some ritualistic works salvation. He just meant to tell you... Discipline your flesh, guys. Discipline your flesh. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Now, here's what Jesus is beginning to say here. If a person says they're a Christian but never acts like a Christian, they're not a Christian. That doesn't go over well today. I was raised in a church that believed once you're saved, that is, you prayed a prayer that said salvation, and, uh, and you prayed that prayer, took some communion, you, you go into, got baptized in water, you go into heaven. And, and there ain't anything you can do to keep yourself out of heaven. That is opposite of Scripture, my friends. You don't find that in the Bible. Now, you find that in doctrinal books and, and different, uh, in different denominations, but you don't find that in the Bible. Well, how, how can you be saved? You're saved as long as you want to be. Anytime you don't want to be, you can back away. Well, that goes over big, but it's still true. Anyway, he said this, you can identify them by their fruit, that is the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So he says it both ways. So every tree that does not produce good fruits chopped down and thrown into the fire. And then he ended that part of it, verse 20. Yes, uh, you, so you, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. So you can say, I'm a Christian, but if you're still living with your boyfriend, girlfriend, you can't, you can't how can I say this? You can't be renting an apartment with your boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't care. I mean, you could be 70 years old doing I mean, now people up in age, they've suddenly gotten permission to do all kind of crazy things. It's not possible to say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and go to church every Sunday, read your Bible, pray, 
but be sleeping with somebody you're not married to. You die. Oh, yeah. What's your name? Do you think you're, you're going to heaven? Are you going to enter that holy place? Not according to Jesus. So you just want to think about it. Now, here's the challenge today is that we have young people that are given permission by our schools and by the public aura of culture here uh, to be homosexual. That is men kissing men, men making love to men. Uh, how do you do that? You violate nature. And then women kissing women, making love to women. Let me ask you a question. You say, well, I can love Jesus and do that. God forgives. No, you, you can't practice that as a way of life and then suddenly die in that state and go into these gates of this place called the holy city. Yes or no? Challenge me, y'all. If you think I'm wrong, I want you to write me an email and tell me I'm wrong and give me scripture for it. Okay? I'm going to show you something tonight. Now, you know, you say, Pastor, why are you talking this way? Because we need to. If you love people, you got to be honest with them. Now, there's probably in this room, probably watching online, you, you, we have people probably who are having sex outside of marriage, looking at pornography, uh, probably some people who have some same-sex attractions. Now, listen, I've talked to so many people who have had same-sex attractions, lots of them. And, and they struggle. They struggle with themselves. They struggle with being accepted by their friends, particularly being accepted by their families. And so for them, coming out of the closets become a big deal now because now we suddenly have permissions. And now the government says, we'll, we'll give you tax benefits if you, uh, if you we, and we'll even let you get married and call it a marriage if you are a man and you marry your boyfriend. Or you're a girl and you marry your girlfriend. Now, now our government even says it's okay. Just because the government says it's okay doesn't mean that God says it's okay. Doesn't make it suddenly right. Yes or no? So there's just some eternal principles here. And, you know, I know it seems like I'm belaboring the point, but somebody's got to say something about this at some point. So, so my, my heart says, honestly, and I, I really have talked to a lot of people that struggle, and they tell me they struggle with their tears. And then uh, I, I say, well, you know, you may struggle. Lots of people struggle with sex. Lots of people are abused, misused. Most of the homosexual men that I met were abused by usually a family member or a family, or, or a family friend or someone that they knew when they were young, generally speaking, and they have father issues and that kind of thing. And then, and then the girls, likewise, uh, lesbianism is, is as a result, many times, of some, of some twisted and, and challenging problems at home when they're young. Oh, now, and now, however, it's changed a little bit because now culture says those things are socially acceptable. And my concern for that is it's dooming a lot of people to the lake of fire because you cannot go to heaven with sexual immorality of any kind in your life. How many heard what I just said? Now, you know, that sounds really tough and rough, and I'm not even being legalistic. I personally think I'm being loving. I talk to my children real clearly. My dad taught me about the birds and bees and actually talked to me about sex too. He talked talk to me about the act of sex, what it can do for you, how it can harm you, how it can do you in. He went to Korea. He told me all kinds of stories, and I just had big old bug eyes. I mean, big old, big old half-dollar eyes. I said, I never heard all that. He said, well, you need to hear it from me first. I said, thank you, sir. Anyway, then he said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, now listen to this, on judgment day, Many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord. Uh, or they could say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. We prophesied in your name, remember? You gave me a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. I was talking to people. I laid hands on the sick. Man, I, I had people falling down on the floor under the power. Cast out demons in your name. Perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You break God's laws. So if you think that you can get by because you're God's pet, get by with things you can't. How many hear me? Now here's the sobering reality. Eight billion people right now on the planet. God has to treat everybody exactly the same and fairly. Yes or no? Think about it. Think about it. See, we give ourselves permissions to do what, yeah, he probably ought not do that, but see, God kind of winked. No, God doesn't wink. He just looks. Right? I know I have to say these things. Why did I say that? Because he said it's a holy city. Do you get it? I have an impression that people are thinking. And, and, you know, if you're struggling with anything, I say, come talk to me. You can email me. You can come and sit in my office talk to me. I won't, I won't judge you. I won't be. I will love you because I do. But I'll be honest with you. I'll give you some thoughts and ideas of how you can help, be helped and such. But y'all don't do that. How many want to go to heaven? So he said, everybody good? Uh, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this, this, here's where it becomes exciting. Coming down out of heaven from God. Now, watch this. God planned something from eternity past. Do you get this? See, he's always wanted a family. He's always wanted to pal around with us, be with us. Just, just be in our presence. He's wanted us to see him. He's wanted us to see him as a father. He's wanted us to see him and, 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 and as, as, our, as our family member. He's just wanted to pour out his love. He's always wanted a family. So this city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God. And, and, and then, see, when God does this, he invites us. What is he doing? He's inviting us to his house, not just to stay for a night, but for eternity. That's pretty cool. He said, I want you to come and live where I do. Revelation 3.12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new name. See, again, that, that, that city comes out of heaven. See, God's been preparing it for a long time for us to live in. Then it says that city, new Jerusalem, comes down. You know, the Holy Spirit's inside me, and here's what I hear him saying. There's somebody, I don't know who, if you're in the room or watching, you're pretty upset with me for what I just said about homosexuality, lesbianism, fornication, living together. I, I, I feel it. I just find me somebody. I, I ain't listening to somebody like you. Well, you know, you don't have to. But if you go where somebody will tell you what you want to hear, just be aware your conscience will become so hardened that you'll never hear God again. Be aware. Just be aware. Be aware. I mean, hear me. Be aware. 
So we saw the city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, can I get real with you real quickly here? We're called the bride of Christ. Can I be honest? I'm a man. I wear underwear, not panties. Too much tea, I know. I'm sorry. I am a man. I don't want nobody calling me a bride. You mean identify with what I'm saying? And if you don't know what this is saying, it's like, well, wait just a minute. You know, I've been taught, my daddy taught me to be man. And for me as a man, I like being a man. The truth is, I don't ever want to be a woman. I don't want to dress like a woman. I don't want to walk like a woman. I don't want to talk like a woman. I want to be a man. A big, burly, smelly man. That's what I want to be. That's why I put cologne on. But when you're calling me the bride of Christ, okay, God, you got to help. I said, God, you know, you got to really help me with this. You know, I could take offense to that. You women, you want to be called a man? I mean, come on. You, I like, you know, you need to pretty up. Be dainty, feminine. I want to be masculine. I'm a man. But see, this is opposite of me. As a bride. Don't call me a bride. Now watch this. I understand it now and I don't have a problem with it. So when God says the new Jerusalem came down from God out of heaven... As a bride adorned for her husband, here's what you got to know. It's, you know, it's a figure of speech. And he's calling the place where he lets us live for eternity the bride of Christ. So we're living there, and it's this place. He calls that place the bride of Christ. How many get it? Yeah, it's a figure of speech. Why is he saying that? Again, Revelation 19, 7 through 9, Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself wet ready, and to her it's granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And then... In Ephesians chapter 5, he equates the relationship with a husband and wife to the relationship that Jesus has with the church. And then here in Revelation 21, we're called, it's called the bride of Christ. And he calls the new Jerusalem the bride of Christ. And, and you just got to understand what he's saying. Ephesians 5, for wives, this means submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, for a husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He's the Savior of the body, as the church is, submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy, clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church, without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fall in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. I'm going to summarize here in a minute. For a man who loves his wife actually shares love for himself. For no one hated his own body but feeds care for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. 
as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and these two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. See, bride of Christ, a metaphor. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So if you understand what God is saying here, calling us the bride of Christ, my daddy taught me before I ever got married, say, son, come here. You're getting married, right? Yes, sir. You see how I treated your mommy all, mama all these years? Uh, yes, sir. Did I take care of her? Yes, sir. Did I meet her needs? Yes, sir. Did, did I ever hit her? No, sir. Uh, did I ever talk roughly or harshly to her? No, sir. Did I, did I care for her? Yes, sir. Did I sing to her? Yes, sir. Did I make her feel loved? Yes, sir. Did you see me kiss her? Yes, sir. Did you see me hug her? Yes, sir. Did you see me woo her? Yes, sir. I did. Did it embarrass you? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know. And on and on, you know, I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. So, so I saw that as a kid. Not all kids see that. But see, a husband, he's to give himself to his wife. And see, that headship of the husband means he's so endeared to his wife that she knows inside of her. That man right there, he takes care of my every need. All I got to do is breathe it, and he'll go do it for me because he loves me. Yes or no? So husbands, if you're not doing that, wives, grab them, tug them with your elbow and say, get busy. Because there's not only you're supposed to take care of them, nurture them. That is, internally and externally. Make sure that they're provided for. Make sure that they feel safe, secure, that their environment is a home, not just a house. It's a place they can go look forward. And, and you know, what is a husband supposed to do? He's supposed to love his wife. He's Talk to her, think about her, call her, spend time with her, give his visions to her, what he wants to do in life. She pours her heart out to him. They talk about life. They do life together. See, when God says we're the bride of Christ, that's what he wants to do to you. He wants to treat you like a good, loving husband treats his his spouse. That's what God, I mean, really, God, God wants to love you. No, God wants to be with you. You know, we don't use this term succor, to succor someone. That means to, that is to be everything that person needs. Just like a, a, little, a little baby cries for mommy. He gets his food for mommy, gets his love for mommy. Mommy helps him go to sleep. Mommy makes him or her feel safe. Mommy's my all in all. God wants to be your all in all. How many hear me? Now, maybe you had a bad marriage and had a, a, an abusive husband. God is not an abusive husband. God is a loving father. So when you hear all these metaphors about marriage and the bride of Christ, if God finally got through, and I, so I finally got it. You don't want me to wear frilly underwear. I get it. You want, me to, you want to love me. So love, care, nurture, dream sharing, protection, provision, enjoyment, closeness, caring, togetherness. That's what's in your future with God in the New Jerusalem. Is that exciting? That's incredible. Then Revelation 21, 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. See, that's the whole idea. That's the scope of it. That's it. God himself will be their God with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God 
is with men. Let's look at that first part. He will uh, dwell with them. They shall be as people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, here's what you got to know. God has always wanted to be with us. No, in eyesight of us. That he's always, when he created man on earth, he would come down with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Why did he do that? He wanted to be with them. They saw God's visage. They saw his body. They saw his face. They heard his voice. God never wanted to stop coming down. And in the new heavens and new earth, in the new Jerusalem, you'll see his face. He'll be your God. Now listen, just listen, I'm going to go through this. Everybody good? Zechariah 2.10, listen, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I'm coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall come, become my people. See, the nations become my people. And I will dwell in your midst. Then you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. See, God wants to dwell with us. No, in visible form, he wants you to see him. That's how much he is endeared to you and loves you. Zechariah 8.3, this says, The Lord, I'll return to Zion. I'll dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So again, I will return to Zion. That's the new Jerusalem. And dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That, that verse is talking about Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem. The bride of Christ where God literally lives, lets us live with him. Ezekiel 43, 7, and he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel be defiled my holy name. Uh, they nor their kings by their hollow tree or with carcasses of the king's on their high places. So again, he's just mentioned, I'm going to be with you for eternity. And then that verse says, and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So again, in the new heavens and new earth, there's no more curse. See, we're accustomed to leaves falling off of trees and, and turning dark on the ground or turning crisp. You know, as the seasons change, we're accustomed to the defilements of the earth, the death elements of the earth, all that's missing in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem that we'll read later. It comes down on earth and creates a habitation for us. There's no more sorrow, no more crying. Somehow, God is able to take the elements of human memory and erase the harshness in the memory of the bad things that have happened. Uh, many people that I have spoken to over all these years of my life in ministry, I've spoken to so many people, and I've had people weep on my shoulder. I've had people tell me things that they've never told another soul, and I, I know how I don't understand how they hurt, but I saw their hurt because I've never hurt the way they did. People who have been abused, people who have been misused, people who have been neglected, people who have uh, been forsaken by people that should have been responsible for them. And that hurts. Uh, there's just no way to take away the pain. Some people live with it and stuff it. This verse says there'd be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. All of the things that were retained in your memory are sovereignly removed by a loving God. So it's just as if it never happened. The abuse never happened. 
the neglect never happened. The hurt never happened. The isolation never happened. You're just loved. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you. I like this person. Do you? Revelation 7, 15 through 17 again. We've read it before. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, speaking of the saints. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall never hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. I don't know about you. I want to be around somebody like that. Do you? Huh? You know, us men, we're really good at hiding our pain. We hide what we don't like. We act like everything's fine. I've met a lot of women. They hide. They hide behind a wall of shame. They hide behind a wall of pain. In this, in this place, you don't have to hide anymore. God wipes it away. Is that good? Isaiah 35.10, The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah 25, 7 through 9. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people. I don't know what just happened. There we go. Um, Lost my place. And the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebukes of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. And we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Is that good? Revelation 21.5. Then he said, he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they're true and faithful. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Him who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Go back up to that verse 6. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and, and the end. Alpha and Omega. Uh, Uh, are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and that's where God says, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. It's mentioned twice in the other two other places in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1.8, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Says the Lord who is and who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 22.13, I'm the Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. See, see God's eternal. Uh, Holman Christian Standard Bibles and study notes says this about that particular Verse, the phrase sums up the entirety of God's sovereign power over all things, specifically his control over human history. The Alpha and the Omega has the power to begin and end all things in accordance with his decree. And the phase pro- phrase provides strong affirmation of Jesus' deity and his messianic lordship. So he oversees all things. Then, then he says this, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Water is a requisite of life. Um, you go do the studies, uh, medical folk, uh, uh, we're mostly water, our bodies, uh, 60%, generally speaking, or you know, somewhere around that area. There, there's no life without water. I think your uh, brain is um, 73% water. Your lungs are 83% water, so different parts of the body have different percentages of water. I'm just saying the emphasis here is water. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. You can't live just a few days without water. Is that true? And it's really unusual that God uses water as a metaphor for what comes from his presence. 
See, water is used as a metaphor of what comes from God and is ingested by us and that creates and gives us and sustains life. Is that awesome? So over and over again, Revelation 22.1, He showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. See, it evidently had God's life, God's nature in it. Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And then Jesus, you remember John 4, 13, Jesus answered the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. The water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then Ezekiel saw the river of God flowing out from the throne of God uh, in Ezekiel 47. At the end times when we're talking about now, verse 9, it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because the waters go, therefore they will be healed. And everything will live wherever the river goes. And that's speaking of the end time, speaking of the river that comes from the throne of God, Ezekiel 47, 9 there. And again, God refreshes us with the, with the refreshing of his presence. The metaphor is water. Again, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God. And he shall be my son. First Corinthians 3.21, again, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Have you ever under, wondered why he said that? Why did the apostle Paul tell the Corinthian believers all things are yours? Because you'll be in that new Jerusalem one day. You'll be in that place called, the metaphor is, the bride of Christ. You, you'll, be, you'll be in God's dwelling, God's house, overseen, watched over by him. He's a shepherd. He's a lover. He's a savior. He's a benefactor. He's a helper. He's everything that you need. And so he said, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. All are yours. Everything is yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. So again, everything that you could ever need, desire, want is going to be in that new Jerusalem. It's an awesome, amazing, incredible place We'll talk about the dimensions of it, some more things about it next time. But as we close here, there is a contrast as we conclude this. And the contrast is um, really uncanny. And he, he goes from all of this wonderfulness to uh, verse 8 as we conclude Revelation 21. But the, set, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers. Again, he mentions the sexually immoral. The sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so he, he, he's emphasizing again, that's a holy city you're going to live in. The bride of Christ is a holy place. You won't get there unless you're, you, you won't get there unless you're holy. Now, I read an article this morning. I'll close with this. I read an article this morning by Rick Renner. I shared it with my staff. Do you share it with the staff? Shared it with the staff team. Uh, it's June 16th in his uh, Sparkling Gems in the New Testament. And he wrote this book some 20-some, 26, 7 years ago. Uh, but uh, today's, uh, it's just uncanny that it was today, June 16th. Uh, he mentions this verse and he uh, expounded on Matthew 7, 6. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. 
They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. So what's that got to do with this? Well, he said the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is, they won't get to this city. And they won't be taken care of by God. You can't get there. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Everybody been around a pigsty? You've been around pigs? Are pigs lazy? Well, you can say yes or no. Are they selfish? Are they sloppy? Are they nasty? Are they utterly, utterly selfish? Absolutely. Do they live only for themselves? They live for one thing. I want to eat. And when they eat, they're nasty. That's a pig. He's just lazy and he just gets fat. That's all he just gets fat. He's, he's getting primed for the slaughter. That's all he does. Oh, nasty pig. He lays in his mess all day long. And he only gets up when he hears the tinkling of the bucket where the slop goes and the farmer pours it in there. He jumps up, real excited to eat. That's all a pig does. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before pigs. A pearl. You know anything about a pearl? You know, it's, it comes from a shellfish. And uh, there's a lot of muscle inside that shellfish. And then the pearls that are really, really worth a lot, you got to dig way down through the muscle. And, and it's usually an irritation that gets into the shellfish. And, and it's the constant repetitive irritation in that forms that pearl out of calcified materials. So it's, it's that, that pearl is formed out of life, hardness, hardship. See, God has... Uh, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls. Don't, that is, don't take what took you a life to learn and give it away to people that don't care. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus said, don't cast your pearls. Again, that which cost you a lifetime to gain. Don't cast it before people who don't care about it. Who won't say thank you. Who won't appreciate it. Did you hear what I just said? Who will just accuse you if I don't keep giving them more. You get it? God will not cast the pearl of great price. The new Jerusalem. The bride of Christ. Before people who live in a way that they dishonor and defame it. You get it? Now see, God is love. Let me say it again as I close. In America today, we're singing all the songs about God loving us. But we're not singing the songs about God being holy. God loves every person that goes to the lake of fire. But they can't get into heaven because they don't qualify. And you only qualify by the blood of Jesus. And you only know the blood of Jesus is really applied, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. When the blood of Jesus is applied to life with heart knowledge, you have to change. It, listen, it doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean you don't mess up every now and then. It doesn't mean you don't have to repent. But your lifestyle is not a lifestyle of wrong. How many get it? And y'all, America desperately needs to hear this today. We're under judgment. God is judging. Go read my blog today. 
God is judging every idol that Americans have erected. All of them. The idol of money. The idol of entertainment. The idol of, uh, of uh, eating out in nice, fancy, fine restaurants. Everything's being judged. The I- idol of sports. Everything's been judged this last year. And y'all, I don't think the judgments are over. Because I don't think we've yet learned our lessons. My friends, there is a great city ahead of us. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's called the Bride of Christ. hundred years from now, we'll be talking about that in heaven. 10,000 years from now, we will have been living there for a while. Eyes not seen. Ear has not heard. Not even entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for us who love Him. Lord, I thank you for all of us. Thank you for loving us. But Lord, let us not presuppose that we can continue in the life of wrong and make it into these eternal places. Thank you for the precious, wonderful, loving, wooing Holy Spirit. Draw us. Move us. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.